Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, Genesis 23, the death of Sarah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. So this is the first death, first death and burial recorded of a Hebrew, and it's a big one. It's a big one. It's, it's the matriarch. Sarah dies at the age of 127. And in his Jewish tradition, and I don't know if you know if you do this, if you ever go to Israel, they'll tell you this is Jewish tradition, which means it's stories handed down. This isn't in the Bible. We have to specify, okay? But stories handed down um, uh, for the Jewish people, they say or they believe that Sarah died because of the trauma suffered over what occurred in the last chapter. Now, we know that from chapter to chapter, it doesn't necessarily mean it happens right afterwards, but, and that's not, not a fact. I mean, I don't know if that's a fact, but is it possible? Is it possible? Yeah, I think it's, surely it's possible. She, she's unable to have birth for years and years, a very long time, and finally, finally, God gives her her beautiful son, Isaac, her one and only son. You know, she doted on him, right? Her life was just caught up in him, right? She was definitely a helicopter mom. You know, she was definitely at the school being like, what? what's going on with my son? I feel like he's not getting the attention he deserves. He's a beautiful child. This is your fault. You know, you know, she'd probably like that from what we heard of Sarah. Um, and we see the story. The last story we looked at was when Abraham took Isaac up to, to sacrifice him because the Lord had asked for him. And we, we see that perspective from Abraham. And we're like, man, how rough is that for Abraham, right? To do this. And I think it was definitely... Uh, like tougher on Abraham because it's like he's got to fulfill the act. But we, we rarely do we think about Sarah and what that was like for Sarah. You have to know that like Abraham was upset as he took Isaac to give them to the Lord. But, but Sarah grieved the loss of Isaac for twice as long, right? Because it takes three days to get there. Abraham goes there and God says, don't, I just, you know, don't do it. I'll provide the ram. But Abraham can't be like, hey, Sarah, all good. We're on our way, you know, or a quick little like, hey, three more days. We're going to take it slow because that was rough, you know. So she still, she has to think for three more days and wonder, right? So that's like almost a week, right? Three days plus three days, six days plus a Sabbath. It's a week. They had to rest at some point. So like imagine a mother and her only son, 127 years. I mean, you see this happen a lot with like, uh, older people, when they die, they'll, they'll die and like their loved one or their spouse will die shortly after because they love them so much. I think that might happen. If Daisy dies before me, I will die shortly after. If I die first, Daisy will continue to live her life and it'll be a grand second life. I make her promise me just like, just let's not have it make it be too good. Let's not have it be too good, okay? Um, and some people are like, hey, I want you to find happiness again. I just, you know... Marry someone else. I'm like, no. You, that was your happiness. I was the promise. The promise was fulfilled. You can continue on, but your love life is done. Okay? So, and that's a fact. So you guys, keep, you, you're, you're responsible for that. Okay? Not Craig, though. Deb. Not you. 
and be like, this, this other guy, never mind, I'm getting into this. I can go up on a whole tangent. I can go on a whole tangent, but whenever I go up on tangents, it's like, okay, pull it back. It's way too far. It's way too far. So, but we can imagine uh, this traumatic event for a mother. that Maybe she might die shortly after this traumatic event where she thinks she's going to lose her son. And it says in the Bible that Sarah died in Hebron. And so this is a picture that I drew up real quick um, of Hebron. Got pictures. I know we didn't go over it, but that's it. Isn't it beautiful? So, okay, in this area, that, that area where it says Jerusalem, that is where Hebron is. If you look at this map, I'm going to talk a little bit about this map. This area where Jerusalem is and Hebron, that's what they want to make the state of Palestine, along with Bethlehem and Jericho in part of Jerusalem. This is where Sarah is buried. Not only Sarah, but this is where Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob are buried. God often says this in the Bible. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the fathers of faith are buried there. So maybe, because us and our like, outside perspective, we're like, why don't they just give the land over? This is why. This is a big deal. And we might think, oh, you know, peace might be brokered. But like, this is, Jews aren't giving up this land. And, and it's not just Palestine. The Arabs want that land. It's, it's, it's the Arab nation and the Jews. They want that because of what it is. Nobody's giving it up. Nobody's giving it up. And this is why. Okay? This is why. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So here, there, there is a cave. If you go to Israel, you, you go into Palestine, and they take you into some of these areas. Um, and this is the cave of the patriarchs. Um, isn't that the best cave you've ever seen? I was always like, I'm not into cave living. I could live in that cave. I could live in that cave. And then if you go inside, just it's, it, they've, they've, they've made it just like it was. Just like it was then. You walk in and you can smell the old air. This is just one of the houses. And like when you're there, there's so many people there. And it's just like, you're just like, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. What's that burning my nostrils? Is that frankincense? Oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> Everyone's carrying it. Oh, you're handing me some. I will carry this frankincense. Huh. Um, but to, so that, to give you a little bit of a feel, so they've been, these places where they know things have happened, they're like enshrined like crazy. If you think you're like, man, I want to go see where Jesus was born, you're just going to see like this thing and you're like, this, this doesn't feel like a, a manger. It, doesn't, it feels like a castle with things in it. So let's look at what it probably looked like back in the day, just so we can kind of get a, um, that's the foundation for the castle right there. This is, this is probably what it looked like. This is going to be our setting today. Um, so let's go and see all that transpired uh, to bury Sarah in this cave, because really this whole story is just about burying Sarah. So in Genesis 23, 3, it says, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. It says in verse 2 that Abraham mourned and wept over Sarah. But for me, verse 3 is really a bit more telling about the amount of grief that he had because it says he mourned and he wept, but then the next line says, and so he rose from beside his dead wife. He rose from beside her. And I wonder how long he sat there. Being a good husband, he was probably like, I will keep my promise to you, Sarah, and my love life is over from this point on much like Daisy will do. 
Um, but he wanted to be close to her. He wanted to be close to her. We know he wept it, said it, but I wonder what else he did. I wonder what else he did. If you ever mourned over someone, and in this time, it's, she is his to take care of. And no one comes and gets her. And he's, he's there beside her. And we don't know for how long, but I just pictured, did he close her eyes for the last time? Did he wipe her hair out of her face? It's hard to say goodbye. And, I, and you know that every, he was just taking care of his wife. I'm sure he, he did her face. He's like, no, I, I want when people see her. I want, you know, you're just like, I want the inner beauty to come out. I want people to see her as I saw her. I, I want this to be as perfect as it possibly can be. And we wonder what was going on in Abraham's head as he mourned his wife. What was going on in his head? Um, I was looking at the stages of grief. Some say there are five and some say there are seven. And I want to I want to preface this by saying, because sometimes, you know, there's, you know, they say, oh, there's five stages of grief. And then if I say it, from the pulpit, it's like the Bible says there are five stages of grief, you know, and that's not that's not true. And I don't think all stages of grief are for everybody. And I don't think Christians grief should be the same. It shouldn't be. So though I'm talking about the five stages of grief, we're not going to act like they're a fact or it's biblical. OK, and I'm not saying it's wrong to go through stages of grief either. You be like, this isn't biblical. I'm just saying I'm not saying that. OK. So, so the five stages are listed as denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I don't think everyone goes through all the stages or deals with grief the same way. I think it definitely depends on who it is, what stage of life they're in. I don't, I don't know if Abraham was in shock or denial. I don't know if he was just like, she was only 20, 127, right in the prime of life. You know, it's still, it's always a loss. You're never like, well, you never feel that way, but I don't know if he was in shock or denial about it. One way I can imagine that he would deal with his grief is guilt. Because, I, I mean, that's how, that's, something I, that's how I have dealt with grief in the past. You start feeling guilt. And I think everybody can identify with this. Like, you're just like, man, if I had only come to see them that one last time. If I'd only come to see them, I could have. I had something else to do, but I should have. I should have made it important. Right? And we, we get real, like, if I've only answered that phone call a year ago when they called and I was out with my friends, we just start playing all the things that how we wronged them, how we could have been better, the things we could have done. Right? And you know that he's thinking, how I, I, I could have been a better husband. I could have been a, a better husband. I'm sure he's replaying all his failings concerning that person. And since we've walked through his life with Sarah, we can imagine. Some of that guilt that he felt, like if, if I only hadn't doubted that she could produce a son. I doubted God. I doubted you, God. And in doubting you, I caused pain to her. If only I had done this. If only I had called her princess before God told me to call her princess. If only I had treated her better. If, if, I wish I was more supportive. Was I ever really supportive? And this is like, like uh, just a warning. When you're dealing with grief, sometimes we go a little too far down that, and it gets ridiculous. And sometimes it's nice to have someone around that's like, you're over the top, okay? You were good. You were a good husband, Abraham. You were a good husband. 
right? But, but he's got to deal with this. And he's like, did I ever treat her like a princess that she was? And so we all know if you've ever been, been through grief, it's like, I'm going to treat her like a princess now. I'm going to bury her like a princess. I'm going to bury her like royalty. Sarah could not possibly have been the first person in their group to die. They'd been wandering for a very, very long time. They went in battles. People had to die in these battles. But I assume, and we, we assume, they just buried them along the way. They just buried them along the way because that's what they could do. But not Sarah. Not Sarah. Abraham is like, not my Sarah. I'm going to bury her like the princess that she was. I'm going to bury her so that she is seen and remembered as God saw her. And as I see her, I'm going to bury her like a princess. I'm going to make sure that I give her a proper burial. So he appeals to the Hittites. And so let's look at this interaction with the Hittites in uh, verse 5. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him, and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan, so the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. To us, this interaction may seem a little strange. Everything in me is saying, take the land for free. He just offered it to you, right? As a gift, take the gift, just take the gift. In this day and age, it's typical for foreigners to not be able to own land. Land was everything. Land was everything. For a family to lose its land was a catastrophe. In fact, later in Israel, if a man lost his property because he fell into debt, his relative had the right to buy it, to keep it in the family. If you'll look with me, or at least jot in your notes, in Leviticus 25, 23 through 28, says, The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession... You must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, 
They are to determine the value for the years since they sold it and refund the balance to the one, the one to whom they sold it. They can then go back to their own property. But if they do not acquire the means to repay, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the year of Jubilee, and they can then go back to their property. So you can see God taking care of his people, saying, if you fall into debt and you have to sell your land, your family can buy it, and if they can't afford it, if you find the money later on, then you'll just give them the extra amount that it's increased in value, and if you still can't buy it back in the year of Jubilee, you can have it back. This is how important it was to own land and how catastrophic it was if you, if, to your family if your land was sold, if you had to sell your land. So the Hittites are selling land to Abraham. It's a big deal. It's almost blasphemous. It's almost blasphemous. People are not going to be happy. You could do it. It was legal to sell land, and it was legal to sell land to foreigners, but there would be a ton of people who were not very happy about it. So you may be thinking that it was incredibly generous for Ephron to offer the land for free, but this is just the beginning of the negotiations. This is just how it's done. Well, you can have the land for free, right? And we, we've seen in the past that Abraham has been unwilling to take anything for free from any of the surrounding peoples. He wants everything to come from God. He's trusting that everything is going to come from God. He's trusting God will provide. But also, if he accepts this land as a gift, it would have been considered an insult to the Hittites. And probably in the future, it would have been challenged by a future Hittite and saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was wrong. This, this land, it, it wasn't just his to give. It was my inheritance. My father just gave it away, and the land is worth more than that. So, so they would probably go take it back. Just go take it back and be like, you didn't buy this land. It was given to you. And even if they sold it at a cheap price, the Hittites could go back later generations and be like, wait a minute. We kind of got swindled. You know, it's easy to kind of go down that path. Be like, we got swindled. That guy was taking advantage of us. So we're going to, they take advantage of our generosity. We're going to go take that land back, right? But this is, this is the only way that he has the land and keeps the land forever. He needs to buy the land. He can't accept it as a gift. And after he refuses the gift of the land, Ephron quotes him a price of 400 shekels of silver, which seems about right. Everyone, would you say... 400 shekels, it seems about right. But really, it's, it's, it's too much money. It's way too much money. So you might be like, man, that guy was all right. He was giving him the land. But then he's like, all right, you won't take it for free? Give me way more than it's worth. But what is that between you and me? He said that. I'm going to start adding that to the end of everything. But what is that between you and me? Right? Um, so, but, and also, not only does he sell him the cave, he includes the field. He says, you can have the field. And, and maybe we're sitting here being like, wow, awesome. He threw in some extra land, a field. That's amazing. Now he has a cave and a field. Who doesn't desire in their life to at one point own a cave and a field <laughs> together, right? But the owner has some responsibilities for the land. You, you might think they didn't have to do that back then, but they did. They had some feudal responsibilities for the land. So the, the owner of the cave was going to have to pay taxes and take care of the land. So, he, so Ephron's not going to sell him the cave and be like, but I'm going to take care of the taxes and the land. Make it all nice. No. So he's like, okay, you take the cave, but you're also going to take the field because you're going to pay the taxes on that. You're going to take care of the land because I'm not going to just let you have something and then keep the responsibilities. So this isn't like a whole, uh, he's not being super generous. He's charging him way too much. 
And he's giving him not just the, the field because he wants him to have room to play. He's giving him the field because he's like, I, want, I don't want to have to pay any money or take care of any of this. So he's a shrewd man. And I think he's kind of taking advantage of Abraham's condition. Can you imagine what Abraham looks like? And, and everyone knows. News has gone ahead, okay? So he, I think he's taking advantage of Abraham's situation where he's at. Because you know there's some emotions here. He doesn't even push back. He doesn't haggle. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't push back. He says, fine. Because uh, he's not conducting a business transaction. The other guy, Ephron, he's conducting a business transaction. Abraham is trying to bury his wife and give her honor. And sometimes, sometimes in these moments, like we're run by the emotion of it. You know, and, and I can just see Abraham being like, I'm not going to be cheap. I'm not going to be cheap. I'm not going to haggle. I'm not going to negotiate. I will pay whatever because she's worth it. If you've ever, if you ever had a loved one die and you're taking care of stuff, you kind of find, I, I've looked back at some of, some of the things, the way we handle things, and I was like, oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have done that. But at the time, I just, I just couldn't. I was like, whatever, just whatever, what, whatever it takes. I don't want to even, I, I, I don't want to think about that in terms, I just want to do the best that I can. And Abraham's not going to be cheap with his wife's funeral arrangements. He's going to give her the best. Because there's some guilt. You, you can't think of saving money at a time like this, right? And so I, I think that Ephron is taking advantage of him, uh, taking advantage of this foreigner who's just looking for a cave to bury his wife in. And so they complete this deal at the city gate, and if you've, been, if you've ever been to this area, um, they've excavated some of these, like, chairs that are at city gates. This isn't, this isn't like an Israelite one, okay? Because that picture on the chair is not a good one, just so you know. Okay, but, like, they would have these gates at, um, at, the, at the outside. They would have these, this seat outside the city where people would decide. This is where transaction happens. This is where legal matters happened. And it happened here because everyone's gathering there. There's merchants there. Everyone, they would always do stuff at the outside of the gate. And so there's tons of witnesses there. There's tons of legal witnesses. And that's why we see Abraham come up and he's talking to everyone and says, well, tell this guy that I want to buy his land. And they're like, get this guy. And all this is happening at a place like this outside the gate where all the people are gathered. Um, and this is a legal transaction now because there are, there are witnesses. We might just think they didn't have all these things, but they did. They had deeds, legal transaction. And so the land, and, and, and not just that, but he's going to sell the land, but he needs the community. He needs all the people there to see it happen. Ephron needs everyone to support it because if they get upset with him for selling Hittite land, he can be like, hey, you all went with it. You all were witnesses. And it's also good for Abraham because a lot of people have seen this transaction. It, it, it's a safe, legal transaction. And so the cave and the fields surrounding it are deeded to Abraham. And he returns to bury his wife, his princess, Sarah. In times like this, in times of, of grief and mourning, I don't know if anyone is ever thinking about what God is doing. And maybe we, we think, man, God is comforting me. God is helping me get through this, right? But we don't ever feel like there's like productivity going on in loss. We don't feel like there's productivity going on in loss because that's not the way our human minds work. Productivity cannot come out of loss. So when we're thinking of what God is doing and watching God move, what we're really hoping is to get back to zero. 
We're, we're counting on God and hoping God could get, can get us back to zero, back to normal, right? So, so we can just accept the facts. That was the last stage of grief was acceptance, right? And I don't, I don't think that one's right. I think it's part of it. I'm going to get some water here. <clears throat> acceptance is part of it, but that, that's not the final stage for just accepting it, right? I accept the facts. I've learned to live with it. We've accepted it. We, we're, we're moving on. We, we're, we're living with it. And, and, and we can see, like, when we get acceptance, like, things get easier day to day, week by week, month by month, till we finally get back. And this can, can take some time, but what do we get back to? We get back to normal. We get back to zero. We get back to the, the place that we, we were dropped so far from, and then we get. Now, now I'm okay. I've accepted it. I'm at normal. But as Christians, I think there's so much more for us than just getting back to normal. I don't think the final stages should be acceptance, but hope. And there's, there's the things we know. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of being with God. We have the hope that they're with God. We have the hope that we will see them again, and that's a good hope. But I think through this passage, we can see that there is even more hope to be had than just the hope of heaven. Because like we always see God is always doing more than one thing. If we look back at Genesis 12, when God first called Abraham, I'm going to read Genesis 12, 1 through 7, and then I'm going to hop over to Genesis 13. Genesis 12, 1 through 7. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then in 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are. Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. We've watched God fulfill several promises he gave to Abraham so long ago. He gave him an heir from his own body, from Sarah's own body. He blessed him. He made his name great. But though he had the promise of the land, he did not. He was still a foreigner. He was still a nomad. He did not have any land. But in this moment, don't miss where he was when God said, look and look at stand, look around you. This is your land. I will give it to you north and south, east and west. And so he went by the trees at Mamre in Hebron and camped where this cave and this field is in this moment. In this moment, a seed is planted. A seed of his destiny, a deposit is made. Abraham owns his first piece of property, his first piece of the promised land. He finally owns a piece. Another promise is fulfilled. A, a promise is fulfilled even through tragedy, even in heartbreak, even in the heartbreak, God is still fulfilling his promises. When everything is falling apart, 
God is still fulfilling his promises. And you know what? Abraham was too, you know he's too broken up to notice it. When when we're in that stage, we're not like, oh, you fulfilled the promise. It's not like he's sitting there doing that. I think he's too broken up to notice it. But God was blessing him and blessing his future and keeping his promises. Get this, not just in the tragedy. God wasn't keeping his promises in the tragedy, not just during the tragedy, not even in spite of the tragedy. God was fulfilling his promises through the tragedy. He was fulfilling his promises and showing his goodness through the heartbreak. God can take the bad and make something good out of it. He's the only one who can. Even in this transaction, even in this transaction with Ephron, we see God at work. They do not sell land to foreigners. They don't sell land to foreigners. It is blasphemous. Normally, everyone can be mad. Abraham can sit there and say, man, that land cost me 400 shekels of silver. I had to buy that land. And God says, no, you don't even realize I gave you that land. I gave you that land. 400 shekels is steep. From impossible to 400 shekels, you're welcome. You had nothing to do with that transaction. That was all me. That was all God. Even when Ephron is overcharging Abraham, Abraham could sit there in in his flesh and be like, man, in my pride, I don't want this guy to take advantage of me in front of all these people. I I refuse to pay that much because we can be like that sometimes. We can have our pride and say, no, this person is taking advantage of me. He's taking advantage of what I'm going through. He's making me look like a fool in front of everybody. And I'm, you know what? I need some land, but I'll find land somewhere else because I'm not going to be made a fool of. Because I will not be made a fool of. And I'm not going to be made a fool of in front of people. And so we protect ourselves and we stand up. And he could, he could have done this like, hey, man, I'm trying to be seen as a respect. I want to be respected in this community, in this land. I can't be seen as a fool. But even when someone else is taking advantage of Abraham, God is moving through it to bless him and to fulfill his promises. Even if someone is taking advantage of you, God is blessing you. They can't take advantage of God. People cannot take advantage of God and God is with you. Let your pride down and say, whatever you want, man, whatever you want, because it might, it might, I might look like a fool now, but I know somehow, some way, God is working out something. God is working out something. You can't take advantage of God and God is with me. So try what you may. Try what you may, because we're going to see what God is going to do through this. God's going to bless it abundantly. People cannot take advantage of you. Get this in your head. Don't worry about about keeping up your pride, right? And and being seen is important because God goes before you and behind you and they cannot take advantage of God. They cannot make God out to be a fool. He's overcharging Abraham and in doing so, he is giving Abraham a stake in the land and fulfilling God's promises. And it's just a deposit. It's just a deposit for everything else Abraham will have in this land. Even when people are taking advantage of you, God isn't just looking out for you. God isn't just looking out for you. He can use it and he can bless you through it. He can use it and he can bless you through it. Maybe it took Abraham to get to a place where he would even go ask for them to sell, because this is a big deal. Maybe this tragedy, Abraham had to get to a place where he's like, I'm so desperate, I will finally go ask for some land. Maybe, maybe Abraham needs to be disheveled and mourning before they would even think it, right? Before, even though Abraham pays a high price, it's the high price that makes it his land legally forever. 
what are they going to say? Hey, wait a minute. We charge you too much for that land. We want it back. This makes it his legally forever without any pushback, without any, any um, argument. It is his. And this is our reminder through this story. God is still on high when we are at our lowest. When you are at your lowest, God is still on high. He's still on high. When you are in retreat, when you are standing still, God is still charging forward for your good. When you are unsure of the promise and you are holding back, God is sure of his promises and he is moving forward. God is always making something new. He's always fulfilling his promises. He's always staying true to his word, even when we think all is lost. Even when we think all is lost. And this is where we place our hope. It's not just the hope of heaven. It's not just in what's to come. It's not just that we'll see them again, even in tragedy, even in tragedy, God is still fulfilling his promises because he's that good. He's that good. That's who God is. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a New Testament, man, and we see that. We see that acted out in the Old Testament. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I know it's hard. And I know that even when we sit there and we're praying, we can't actually like get to a place where we're like, man, God, I thank you for this. Thank you for this so much in this circumstance. It's easy to give thanks when God has done great things for us. Here's the, here's the thing, though. He's still doing great things for us. Even in tragedy, when our eyes are closed to it, when we're too hurt to see what God is doing, God is doing something and he's blessing us, not in spite of the tragedy, but through the tragedy. Through the tragedy, you will see that God never stopped. Even when you stopped, even when maybe you went through these things and you had denial and anger, maybe you stopped following God. Like, God, I don't know if you're good because you've allowed this to happen to me. I cannot give thanks in this circumstance. I promise you, you will look back and you will give thanks for that circumstance. You could not give thanks in the moment because you will see that God was still moving because God was still on his throne and God was still on high when you were at your lowest. And I don't know where everyone is right now in your life, but you're gonna hit a low and I want you to remember this. Remember the facts. God is still on high and he can use tragedy. He will use tragedy to for your good as crazy as that sounds he can use it for your good because that's who god is throughout this bible we've seen abraham not being able to understand god because god does things so differently and god asks for things so differently and i'm telling you god does things so differently today he does things opposite that you of what you can even comprehend and we cannot comprehend how God could take something that hurts us so deeply and use it for our good and use it for our future and use it to fulfill our destiny. But I'm telling you, in my life, that's all I've seen. That is all I've seen is God take grief and turn it into good. Of God take a broken heart and use it to plant a seed. And sometimes my heart needed to be broken to plant that seed. And what grew out of that seed, what grew out of that seed makes me come to a place where I can say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for that. It was awful. I hated you. I hated you. 
And even though I hated you, you still used it for my good. You still used it for my good. Because that's what he does. That is all he does. And he is good. And that is the reason to give thanks. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You are good. Lord, I know there are people in this room that have gone through an amazing amount of tragedy. People going through tragedy now. People dealing with grief now. And it's hard to see it. And it can be annoying when someone's preaching about it or saying it when you're not feeling it. But it doesn't make it not true. It doesn't make it not true. You use the greatest tragedies to fulfill our destinies. You watch out for us when we're not looking out for ourselves. And even when people would take advantage of us when we are at our lowest, you don't just protect us. You turn it into blessing. You turn it into blessing. Lord, I just give thanks that you can turn curses into blessings. It makes no sense. No sense at all. But it's who you are. And I pray that through our grief and through tragedy, we could see, we could finally see your goodness. Lord, you're so good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.